0: So I pushed off and the ranger sort of watched me me push off. And he was kind of judging me because I was on my own, I think. And then uh, I went to do a roll to make sure it would roll. And I just thought this is going to be incredibly embarrassing. (laughs) Uh, As I've come all the way from England, spoke to this ranger, gone through the checklist and then just swam straight in front of him. I'm pretty sure he would have been in his right to drag me off the river. But the boat rolled fine. It was just super heavy.
1: Episode 344, a solo kayaking journey through the Grand Canyon during the winter with Liam Kirkham.
2: Hey friends, thank you. Thank you for all you do to keep the Adventure Sports Podcast alive and well. You listen to our amazing guests. Thanks for that. You join our Facebook group and you share your adventures. That's awesome. You join our ASP members community for discounts and to support the show. Very cool. You donate to our Patreon site. Right on. But most of all, thank you for believing in the show. Thank you for joining with us to reach others to share the great stuff that adventure sports bring. We believe that adventure sports help people to live richer, more fulfilling lives. We believe that the Adventure Sports Podcast is making a positive impact in the world through physical health, emotional health, environmental health, and relational health. We have set the challenging goal of doubling our listener base by February the 28th. Wow. Really? After nearly three years, we want to double the number of listeners in just a few weeks? You bet. And you make it possible because you believe in ASP. Thanks in advance for sharing the dream of a healthier, happier world by telling your friends about the Adventure Sports Podcast. Let's double the good. Together,
1: we can do it. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville.
2: Hey, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Kurt here. I have Liam Kirkham on the line, and I'm excited about this interview. Let me tell you why. We have not done a whole lot of whitewater interviews on the show yet. We've done several. But it's been a while, and Liam is here to talk kayaking, but not just any kayaking. Liam actually kayaked solo the Grand Canyon in the wintertime. That's pretty crazy. So Liam uh, grew up in the northern part of England, and he lives in England, and he is a kayaking instructor. He also is a kayaking guide in Ecuador during the Northern Hemisphere's winter months, And so he is the kayaking expert who's going to lead us through what whitewater kayaking is all about. I'm excited. Liam, welcome to the program.
0: Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Yeah,
2: yeah, man, it's going to be awesome. I think this is going to be a fun topic. Like I said, it's been a while since we talked kayaking or whitewater on the show, so especially kayaking. We've done several river trips and whitewater, like more whitewater rafting type shows. Okay. Yeah. But it's been a while since we did kayaking. So you know let's start just by talking about the sport itself a little bit if you don't mind. Um why did you start kayaking? What does it do for you?
0: Um so I think I started kayaking cause because I was pretty bad at everything else. Um so when I you know first got into sort of outdoor stuff I started climbing. And if you're sort of bad at climbing you don't get to the top. Uh so that I found that quite frustrating. But on my first river trip, um, I got to the bottom. You know, I swam 20 times and I was freezing, (laughs) but I I completed it, so I was happy. And uh, I thought, well, I can stick with this. You know, I'm kind of resilient. I can stick with this. And uh, so that really, that hooked me that I could be okay and finish it. I like the journey. And then um, I remember for ages, I think maybe the first year or first two years, I'm not sure I did like it. Like, I kind of liked it in hindsight. In the moment, I was a little bit scared or cold. But then either uh, the day after or even in the car on the way back, I'd be... I'd be buzzing and I thought I kind of enjoyed it in hindsight for the first two years mm. so I uh, just stuck with it yeah so where did you learn to kayak um so I went when I was 16 I went to college and I did like an outdoor education program and sort of two or three days a week of that would be practical so they'd uh they'd take us kayaking climbing caving so they took us to sort of Lake district in northwest England and we'd uh We'd go out kayaking uh, two or three days a week, uh, and then climbing two to three days a week. And and uh, like I said, that one just grabbed me. I sort of stuck with that one. Straight away, I sort of knew that was the one I preferred. I really enjoyed it.
2: Wow. So, you know, I'm going to let you know my ignorance right here. When I think of England, I don't think of whitewater.
0: No, we're pretty good at um, – doing things that our country hasn't got lots of. Like we've got, you know, I mean, there are mountains here, but we've created a lot of famous mountaineers. And uh, and white water in England is, is a little bit different to the rest of Europe even um, in that it's completely rain-fed. We don't, so Italy and France and all the places kind of near us rely on that snow melt, but we rely on the rain, which we get a bit of. But it normally means it's in the winter, so it's those short, miserable days where it's cold, damp days. But there, there's good white water here. It's just um, little spots of it, and it's all rain-dependent. It's here,
2: so you have to wait for a good rainstorm for it to really load up.
0: Exactly, yeah, and that can be um, being England can be any time of year, but normally, normally in the winter.
2: Okay, well, there's all kinds of kayaking, not just whitewater. And have you done like sea kayaking and and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, I've done I've done bits of sort of you know um, open canoeing and sea kayaking and sort of squirt boating. Uh, but really, white water the river trip from A to B, that's what I really enjoyed. And it didn't ever need to be sort of hard, but just just a journey. So I'd rather do uh, 20 miles of a little ripple than spend an hour in really hard surf. I'd rather rather be on the river.
2: Well, I'm going to share with you my kayaking history, Liam. Um, not that anyone really wants to hear it, but it'll, it'll help our conversation perhaps. Yeah, I'm
0: interested, yeah.
2: I, I loved whitewater kayaking And this was, wow, like 20 years ago when I started. And I went as often as I could. But at the same time that I was taking up whitewater kayaking, my wife and I were starting our family. And so pregnancies and babies and that sort of thing, I didn't get out as often as I wanted to. So my skill just kind of, I don't know, it plateaued. And so I kayaked for several years. But then one spring, we got on a flooded creek. And I got worked. I mean, I got worked bad. I uh, I had to come out on my boat. Complete yard sale. Everything scattered everywhere. Uh, I even lost my throw rope. There wasn't any way for someone to rescue me. I had <laughs> to swim through a boulder field. I I got out the other side of it, bruised and shaken. And what happened to me was, I started thinking about my little kids at home. And I said, you know what? Maybe I'll do this sport again in the future. But I either have to do it a whole lot more to get my skill level up or not do it. Because what I'm doing right now is risking their father. Yeah. Because I just really got worked that bad. And so I said, okay. So I I put the kayak in dry storage and said, I'm going to be a dad for a while and maybe rejoin the sport later. And really it was because I knew I, I just didn't have enough time to get my skill level up. So how long yeah. did it take you to get your skill level up to the point where you said, oh, yeah, I can do this. I feel pretty safe.
0: Yeah, it's a funny one. I think that happens to a lot of – maybe you no, know, not always a really bad beatdown, but it is a sport that is, I think um, there's certain moments you get past or you have a sort of like a light bulb moment and you get to a certain standard and and then you jump again in performance and sort of what you can do. In this, it's quite, I think it's quite a steep learning curve or even like steps when – you have this moment of right. I can do that now, and I'm going to move on. So, for example, the roll—the moment you can—you've got a pretty good roll. That's a real. That's a real game changer. Or if even before that, the first time you know when you when I teach a lot of beginners, the first time they can fall out of their kayak and realize they're not trapped upside down, they suddenly get loads better and they go, oh, "Okay, I can do this." And then they have their roll, and, and then they're like, "Okay, I can do this again," like, and they feel even more confident. And then they have their white water roll, and it jumps again, but. Amongst all that and that learning curve, it's really easy to have a sudden sort of bad day and then maybe be put off it, and that it's always frustrating when I'm teaching people that um, that, that might happen. And then for me, like I said, I think um, I didn't learn to roll into, uh, until the first three years, and that's kind of unusual, I think. So I got, but I like I said, I'm, I think I'm kind of resilient. So I got used to swimming, I got used <laughs> to being upside down in my boat, and uh, I got, and then so when I could roll. Um, the idea of swimming and, uh, and being upside down was never terrifying to me. I didn't want it and it can be dangerous at times, but it was never, it would never break me. If I had a swim, I would never sort of be really upset or really beat myself because I'd already had years of it when I, when I first started. So I've been kayaking for like 15 years now, I think. And the first three years, um, I was very bad. And my friends who now don't kayak actually, um, I started with are very surprised I'm the one who's still kayaking and still doing it because they just
2: remember me being absolutely awful.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know, you're being yeah. really candid with us. Thanks for that. Yeah. You know, the point at which I quit, I could actually do a hand roll without a paddle. Um, My oh, roll okay. in a pool was bomb proof, you know, but when I was in whitewater, it was 50-50. You know, I may not make it happen when it was really critical, And so I wasn't quite to the point that I I knew that in the middle of a hydraulic, I would be able to pop myself back up. You know what I mean? So that's that's kind of where I was. And that's why I ended up swimming, of course. And something I used to do, Liam, I don't know if you ever tried this, but it sounds like you had a parallel course anyway. I used to leave the boat on the shore and jump in the white water and swim it on purpose. And (laughs) (laughs) the reason that I would do that is so it didn't make me so nervous then to get in the boat and go have fun. Because if I knew that I could swim it, I knew I knew what's the worst that can happen. Well, I come out of my boat and swim it. So, yeah, that was one way that I started trying to build up my uh, my skill set and my confidence. But maybe swimming a lot can help.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think it's just different for everyone. Because um, and it's so hard to sort of maybe like plan a learning curve for someone where. For me, you know, swimming early and stuff like that, it it did sort of help a lot. And when I learned to roll, I never had a transition of oh, now I can roll on flat. I hope I can roll in white water. I, I could just I just would be able I was able to roll in white water and surf. Um, um, it never sort of had a sort of transition because I was so used to being upside down that oh, well, I can roll. Well, I'll just I'll just do it again. Mm. But um, for some people, they get a roll on flat wall. And then they can roll in a bit of moving water, but not if it's really fast or maybe if it's a bit shallow. So, um, and then I think it's you know with all these things, it's a bit of a head game, and um, yeah. So it's 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 a difficult one to get get it right and swing some rapids. I think will be fine, but sometimes you definitely don't want <laughs> to be swimming the rapids just to make
2: sure it's okay. <laughs> right, and not not all rapids should be swinging no. for sure. I mean, it was usually class three or kind of easier class four. I never swam anything harder than that. So, yeah, but
0: (laughs) But I'm with you. I think people should get immersed in the water early. So they're not always thinking of it as this is me and my boat on top of the water and that's good. Um, And when I'm in the water, that's bad. They should blend it a bit more so they're a bit, you know, hopefully a bit more familiar with the water and and it's not such a punishment when they end up in it or such a shock.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Well, hey, let's do maybe five minutes max of kayaking one hundred and one. And I mean, really the basics, because not everybody has seen a whitewater kayak. So, okay, I guess the first thing is, will you describe how a whitewater kayak is different from a flatwater kayak, like an ocean kayak or something? Okay,
0: so there's sort of um, a whitewater kayak would be kind of like uh, sort of 8 to 10 foot long and uh, quite dumpy you know, quite a lot. Um, there's kind of different types of whitewater kayaks, but for sort of hard or whitewater, it wants to be forgiving. So it's kind of round and it's full and it's like a, a little cork. Um, and there's playboats, which have got a bit more edges and they're for tricks and stuff. But for whitewater, it's going to be sort of around eight foot, ten foot um, with a, a decent amount of volume for its length uh, and quite round and like round and uh, what's going through the water. Whereas a, a sea kayak or an ocean sort of kayak will be 12, 13, up to 17, 18 foot long, and kind of quite a sharp front, so it glides and cuts through the water. So that's great at going A to B and journeying through flat water, but not manoeuvrable enough for a river. Whereas a river boat is really manoeuvrable, but an absolute is a pig to paddle on flat water. It's sluggish, it's slow, it's twitchy but it really comes to life when it's on some moving water. So eight to ten foot, plastic, kind of roundish, um, soft edges, nice shape like that would be a good white water boat.
2: Okay, so when you sit in it, uh, describe the position of your, your feet and your knees so people get a feel for how you control the thing.
0: So, um, like, I, like I said, I've been kayaking 15 years and uh, and a lot, and uh, I've got no muscles in my arms. I can't do a pull up. I can't do a push up. It, so it doesn't come from. And I'm not even joking. My girlfriend's looking at me across the room now. Um, she knows it's true. But uh, it, so you're you're very connected to the boat. So when you move your your stomach and your bum and and your core, the boat's feeling that it's responding to that. So you're you're quite snug in the kayak, and you've got kind of like a, a frog leg position inside the kayak. It's kind of uh, you're sat in it and your knees are touching again or your thighs are touching against thigh pads and uh, your feet are on a plate at the bottom. and if you sat on one on the floor, you should be able to shake it and the boat will move with you. You're not just rattling around inside the boat. You and the boat will start to move.
2: So you and the boat are connected you're, it's almost like you're one unit.
0: Yeah, you're definitely connected yeah. Um, your knees are like splayed out to the side and if you wanted to get out and just say it was upright, you'd bring your knees together and you step out of that hole but when you sit into it, you push your knees out to the side and you're locked into the boat.
2: Okay. Well then let's talk just briefly about the gear that you use besides the boat, the paddle, the spray skirt, maybe a paddle jacket, a wetsuit, a helmet, that kind of stuff. Um, what do you think's required?
0: Um, you want to be warm and comfortable and, uh, Especially in England, that's that's what's uh, hard off the bat. You don't get many nice days. So um, like all these things, kayaking, climbing, uh, hill, walking, mountain, if you're warm and comfy, the rest is a bit easier. So you want some decent, you know, maybe neoprene wetsuit or fleece with a nice waterproof jacket that stops the water getting in there. So you can enjoy it without worrying about getting cold too easy. Um, And then definitely like a a buoyancy aid or a PFD or a life jacket, we call them, Uh, something. So if you do end up in the water, you don't have to do much to float. It's lots of buoyancy and it's bringing you to the surface and looking after you.
2: So several episodes back, I did a, a, a kind of a review of adventure sports to try to determine how dangerous these sports really were. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't surprised by any sport except for kayaking. And here's why. I knew that adventure sports were actually far safer than they feel for the most part. And especially with training in the right gear, you can do them correctly and you can be stupid and do bad things too. And that was kind of the main thrust of the show. But I was comparing the adventure sports to the danger of driving a car. So I looked up all the statistics online and that kind of stuff. The one thing that really surprised me was that kayaking was a lot safer than I thought it was. And the reason i okay, say yeah. that, of all the adventure sports I've done, kayaking is the one that scared me the most. And I always told my my kids, I said, that's the most dangerous thing I've ever done. And when I actually looked at the stats, it's not the most dangerous thing I've ever done. Snow skiing probably is. Okay, yeah. So it surprised me. The, uh, that because, perception. Yeah, on average, it's the alpine skiers that get in the most trouble, much more so than than kayakers. But yeah. my perception of kayaking was, I'm upside down, I have a limited time to hold my breath, rocks are banging me in the head, I could get trapped in this boat. So, you know, there was that that kind of edgy, if I can't get out of the boat and get my head above water, that's the end of the game, right? Yeah. So that, that kind of binary, it's on or off, you're above the water or you're below the water. I think that's what scared me. I'm a solid swimmer. I swam a lot growing up. I spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours every week in the water. So water doesn't bother me. It was just something about being in the boat that made it hard. So did you get to the point where you got past all of that?
0: I didn't have it strongly. So I teach a lot of beginners, and I definitely see it a lot in people. And I I see people being very nervous or or very sort of scared of it. and I think it's completely justified. Like I, I say to people straight away, I think when I'm teaching a beginner, I, I, de- I definitely want to kind of, you know, remind them that it's. It, I know it's not easy because we, you know, we are land mammals, so being sat in a boat with a spray deck strapped to us is is kind of bizarre. And you know, it's a lot. Of, I, th- I have people tell me they dream about it, and you know, underwater, being underwater and things like that. So there is maybe something kind of quite ancient there that people are trying to fight and and don't like it. But I, I never really had it that strong. But it is something I see people fighting all the time. And even when they come in the shop and they're not they haven't started kayaking, well I'll start talking to them and they'll have a story or they'll they'll tell me their fear quite early. And that's quite common. But spray deck um like cockpits on kayaks now uh, are often so open. So not that long ago, they're quite a lot smaller. They they're so open now that if you were to turn one upside down and and I lifted them above my head, they'd have trouble staying in the boat, you know, unless they wanted to. They could slip out of it, um, pretty easily and that's even easier than the water um what i keep seeing all the time which i'm always kind of amazed by because i'm you know i'm terrified i'm pretty bad on a bike and i've skied twice and i found that quite scary but um if you i can see some pretty big wipeouts in kayaking on the river it'd be pretty big waves and rapids uh and the boat flips and it looks quite chaotic and they get to the end and they swim into the eddy and they're completely you know untouched they're fine they're a bit shook up maybe but but then you see someone fall, you know, clipped in on their road bike and they can break their collarbone. Like it, it's uh, it, it's surprisingly soft sometimes kayaking. It can, look, it can look pretty chaotic and big, but sometimes it can be softer than it looks as well, I think.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And it's just funny that that was the one sport. And it, the thing is, I do free diving, skin diving, um, yeah. water skiing, scuba diving. None of that stuff ever bothered me, you know but for some reason kayaking got my attention so but that's just me everyone's different right
0: i heard i heard a stat recently and i'm not sure if it's true, uh, true so i'll have to i'll have to <laughs> google check it later but i heard a fact recently that more cyclists drown in england than kayakers so i'm not <laughs> sure if that's true but you know there's lots of towpaths along the side of the canals and the rivers here and there's also you know a few pubs maybe and people are cycling back and fall into the water (laughs) so there's, there's probably a lot more cyclists as well so i'll have to check my facts but you know it's i think it's a pretty safe sport but there are obviously are dangers but the one thing is i think with maybe biking or skiing or swimming is you can stop often whereas i think the white water thing people worry because if they suddenly stop in the middle of the river the river doesn't realize it keeps pushing you so that kind of lack of control i think sometimes throws people as well they can't just press the pause button very easily
2: well I think that you're right about that. And I have to say, now that I've talked about how challenging kayaking has been for me, um, it's also probably my top two or three favorite sports I've ever done. It is so much fun. (laughs) You know, our deal was that we we used to like the idea that we could ski the snow, and then in the spring we could kayak the snow once it melted, you know, and and we had a year-round sport. And sometimes we'd kind of cross the seasons and we'd find a mountain. We would slide down the mountain in our kayaks and land in the river, you know, and keep going. And so it was oh, fun, brilliant. you know, to do that kind of stuff too. There's it, it's so much cool stuff you can do.
0: Yeah, with kayaking, I think there's a massive spectrum. There's, there's you know, like you said, there's like, um, you can have a pretty gentle day on a really calm day on the ocean, or you can have some pretty hard white water, or you can have a gentle a bit of white water on a nice deep stream. There is there is a huge spectrum of Super easy, friendly, relaxing stuff to, to pretty scary stuff, I think. So big spectrum to choose from or aim for.
2: It's official. Winter has arrived. And Bent Gate Mountaineering is prepared to help you get ready for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and splitboarding gear they have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Salomon, Vole, Never Summer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear, so you can get your skis and your boots there, as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear, as well as to get updates on all of their events. And speaking of big spectrum, uh, Grand Canyon, wintertime, solo. That sounds pretty big to me. What was that about? So first of all, how hard was it to be able to put together that trip?
0: Um, There's a couple of barriers in the way. So getting on the Grand Canyon, uh, paddling kayak in the Grand Canyon, you need to to win a weighted lottery. So you need to get a permit. And the way you get that permit um, is you apply and that uh, with some sort of dates that you would like and uh and then it gets pulled out of a out of a lottery if you get those dates or not and if you don't get them the first year then next year as i understand it your name goes in the hat twice so each year you don't get it you've got more chance of getting it the next year so there's that that's the first sort of obstacle to get uh, you know go on the grand canyon
2: wow so you won the lottery how long did it take you
0: um my first year and
2: I'd already started planning the trip before I won it.
0: So um I was kind of cocky or daydreaming or um just really hopeful. But I, it was on my first year applying for a permit, I got it. But I um and that's the reason it ended up in the winter. You've got a much better chance of getting the lottery uh because so many fewer people go through those winter dates. A lot of people choose like the April, May and the sort of uh, September, October and and also the summer, but those shoulder but the winter, a lot less people go for them, so I kind of edged my bets and chose all sort of dates in December, and uh, and then just lucked out and got that email saying you've got a permit. So I was super lucky, but um, but also kind of tactical with when I wanted to go.
2: So when was this that you did it? What year?
0: Uh, so this was uh, almost a year. I just got off a year ago to the day. So uh, December second, two thousand and sixteen. I got on the river. Like I started. I pushed off. I launched.
2: December 2nd, and how long did it take you to do the full, the full run?
0: Uh, 12 days I kayaked for, so I was kayaking for 12 days, and it's 226 miles, and people have done it um, uh, in sort of a month and taken their sweet time and gone for hikes and walks, and I think the record's under 24 hours maybe, so people have really blasted it as well or hammered it, but I, I just t- took 12 days, which is kind of nice, sort of gentle, not pushing myself every day and time to look around. I didn't want to rush it.
2: Now, were you with a guide, a raft that had gear and stuff like that, or were you self-supported?
0: I was self-supported. So it was me and my kayak um, loaded with everything I needed and some things I didn't need. But um, the National Park um, ask you or check when you get on that you've got certain stuff. They've got certain stuff that you have to take. So a ranger checks you in and goes through your kit, and there's certain things that I wouldn't have brought, but you've got to get that checklist and you've got to get through it from um, so it was me, my kayak and all the things I needed and some of the things I didn't need.
2: Okay. So did you have to use a different style of kayak just to carry all the gear? I mean, 12 days, that's a lot of food.
0: Yeah. It's kind of an unusual kayak. It's a, a, a what they call a crossover kayak. I guess it's, it's a hybrid. It's not as long as a sea kayak and it's, uh, but it's not as a, it's, it's a, it's a lot longer than a white water boat. So it was like 12 foot. Uh, and it was like a whitewater shape, but stretched out. If you can imagine, it kind of scaled and dragged out. So it was a lot longer than a normal whitewater boat, but kind of with a familiar shape. And then it had one hatch in the back, which allowed me to get some kit in the back. A sea kayak could often have a few hatches. So this was like a stretched out whitewater boat with a with a hatch. Um, so it was kind of a
2: different boat, but it felt familiar-ish. ish (laughs) yeah yeah well it it could not have turned as easily and been as sporty as what you were accustomed to especially with weight in it did you feel like that was holding you back or was it okay no absolutely
0: it was um it was a strange thing so i bought the same i knew the kayak i was going to borrow out in the states so i flew out there and i rented this kayak and i knew which one i was renting so i bought it over here in the uk and was playing around with it and got used to it but i never really fully loaded it and then the first time I fully loaded it and paddled it was on the Grand Canyon, uh, and I pushed it off, and it was super heavy. Like I don't know how much it weighed, but um, I couldn't lift the thing for sure. Um, mm. So I, I'd have to drag it onto beaches. But um, so I pushed off, and the ranger sort of watched me, watched me push off, and he was kind of judging me because i was on my own i think and then uh i went to do a roll to make sure it would roll and i just thought this is gonna be incredibly embarrassing <laughs> uh as i've come all the way from england spoke to this ranger gone through the checklist and then just swam straight in front of him i'm pretty sure <laughs> he would have been in his right to drag me off the river but the boat rolled fine it was just super heavy and then the first few hours of kind of flat water and I, I definitely felt it straight away that this boat is hard work um and it was just slow on the first rapid i noticed uh it took a lot more effort than i thought it would to get across the flow and so i had to sort of just put sort of judge it and put this extra sort of uh, power in and 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 take things a lot earlier than i would have normally done so um looking at the rapid a long way before and start making my moves a lot earlier to to help get the boat where it needed to be
2: well let's go through the the classes of whitewater real fast so we can talk specifically about what the grand canyon was like for you at you know that time of the year so a uh, class one means there's a current, essentially. It's, it's pretty much yeah. just frog water, right? Class yeah. two is a, a stronger current, and it's pretty much the limit for an open canoe, because class three can swamp an open canoe. When you get into class three, that's when you have bigger rapids, and that's really where kayaking starts to be fun, for me anyway. Yeah, yeah. And then they define... Um, um, class four is now you've got bigger rapids. Uh, it may be difficult to do a self rescue. If you come out of your boat, that sort of thing, you're getting pretty big class five self rescue may not be possible. And class six is, well, that's almost a suicide mission as far as I'm concerned. People boat it, but they're amazing when they do. So how would you adjust my scale there?
0: Um, the funny thing, like there's, there's different styles of like each class as well. So in england we've got these kind of small rivers and they're rocky and it might say class four but it'd be a kind of rocky technical kind of class four when you're dodging rocks quite quickly or scraping over them but the grand Canyon's may be sort of class three plus four but there's nothing like it in, in england for, for example it, it's huge big waves and though they're still on that same class that class has got its own spectrum as well um so it's quite a different field to any uk kayaking and it's a uh, and likewise, I think if maybe some, um, so I've got a bunch of friends who learnt to kayak in Nepal, and if they came over here in England and kayaked, they'd probably find it pretty tough. They'd hit every rock and be surprised why we were kayaking these tiny little creeks and rivers and rocks. So it's a it's a different type of class four, I think, out there in, in the Grand Canyon three four. But it's it's a big, big standing, huge waves, but um, sometimes not overly technical, just kind of big, soft giants sometimes.
2: Hmm. So had you done big water like that before, or was the Colorado through the Grand Canyon kind of a first?
0: Um, I had, yeah, I've done some big water in, in other places, like in uh, Ecuador and Idaho, and I actually paddled the Grand Canyon uh, a couple of years before this. I worked as a safety bower on one trip, so I had done it once before in September, so um, I did know it, or I thought I knew it. I kind of saw it through new eyes when I was on my own. It, it felt quite different, but I was familiar with what the water should be like, but it's. Uh, I think it's just important to say there's kind of different like classes of the same, different types of the same class. So there can be class four, creaky or rocky or big volume. There's different. Yeah, there's differences there.
2: Mm, and that's a good point. Most of my boating was on. Uh, it was creek boating, and it was pretty bony. Lots of rocks to work around. And in a way, I think that might be more difficult. You really have to be on your game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, on the Grand Canyon, like um, you could maybe be ten foot. You know off the place you want to be and still be uh, still be like online kind of in the right area ish on Creek in on the Rocky stuff. Just sometimes you're talking about, I, I want to be three inches to the right of that rock aiming left. It's kind of quite narrow margins and quite creaky, but, um, but the big waves on the Grand Canyon, if you are in the wrong place, they're big.
2: Wow. So how did it feel once you got your role and you knew you were, you were continuing on into the Grand Canyon what were your emotions at that moment, right then, when you said, "Okay, it's really happening"?
0: Um, it, it kept flicking like, you know, like a, like a metronome. I was swinging between being very excited, and i I'd, I'd been planning it for two years, so I was really excited to be there. And I'd slept on the banks the night before, and I'd watched it, so I, I was super excited. Um, and then, kind of almost um, <laughs> a bit of a, a sort of deep feeling in my stomach of uh, of, of yeah, nerves, I guess. And not, and when I was thinking about when I was kayaking, I wasn't like, oh, I'm nervous of this. But I could just feel this kind of uh, maybe even loneliness a little bit like, well, this is this is actually happening now. It was, kind of, it was a bit surreal.
2: Mm. So I'm not someone who likes to do adventure sports alone very much. Travis, my co-host, he's just the opposite. He loves that alone time. And there's everybody, you know, the full spectrum between us. Where would you place yourself?
0: Um, I hadn't done much alone stuff before, but uh, I definitely want to do more now. So I think I do like it. But the reason it came to me being alone was um i i can be pretty um disorganized sometimes and maybe sort of uh <laughs> sort of uh avoid some responsibilities so i wanted the whole trip to be on my shoulders so it wasn't just like the kayaking it was getting the whole trip together figuring out all the logistics all the kit you know just having all my shoulders and being like okay well, you know this is all mine so if so everything i got from it everything i put in was mine to return as well like it was a. Uh, it was nice to have all that on my shoulders because at the end of the trip when it you know gone pretty well and a bit scary at times it was um it had quite a deep feeling it was quite a, a it was a great feeling and i think because it was such a great feeling it's because it, it all relied on me I had, to, I had to really work hard for it to come off
2: mm, yeah i can imagine how that how good that would feel you know to to say i did it yeah
0: exactly and that was just you know getting it together getting it organized you know even just uh Ten hours on a plane to America, thinking, "Why am I going to the Grand Canyon to paddle on my own?" was kind of a a (laughs) mental struggle. (laughs) Trying to tune into the movies, I started lying on the plane. People asked me, "Oh, what are you doing?" I just lied. I I didn't mention the Grand Canyon (laughs) because then they'd ask me lots of questions, and I'd start getting myself nervous again. So I just said I was going to visit family.
2: So when you really got there when push came to shove and you're paddling in, you you kind of vacillating back and forth between that excitement and and some of that dread, like, oh man, what's gonna happen next? So let's say you're three days in. Then how did you feel?
0: Um, I felt great. Like I was I was into the swing of it. I mean, I had a couple of highs and lows. I think it was even sooner than sort of three days. I think the moment I realized I couldn't paddle back upstream, um I enjoyed that kind of forced commitment, that kind of, oh you know, we're on it now in the same way that when you get on a roller coaster and the guy clicks you in and the cart starts moving, you can't, you know, you can't really do much about what's happening. <laughs> just now. Hang on just,
2: for the Yeah,
0: here we go. We're in it now. So off we go. So I, I enjoyed, the moment I got around the corner and couldn't get back upstream, I didn't want to go back, but then I, then I sort of just took it on. I was like, well, here we go. So I was really excited. And, um, I got into a bit of routine and, uh, yeah, I enjoyed being on my own and I never, never actually really felt lonely. I just felt very, um, um, like it was, it was quite intense. Every decision was quite intense, and every sort of thing you did, and every every beautiful view or and of every uh, big rapid was just doubled in his experience. It all felt quite
2: full on. Mm, wow. Well, the the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon is a flow controlled river. There are dams upstream from it now, so I don't know what to expect in December. What were the flow rates like?
0: Um, and. I've got no idea either, you know, and and this is one of those things I was talking about, about the responsibility. Um, I remember thinking if it's absolutely huge, I probably won't. If it's absolutely huge or it's snowing at the get on, which it was unlikely, then I'm not going to get on. But then apart from that, so I kind of made it a binary decision. I just thought it's either going to be low, medium or high or undoable. And the moment it was undoable that was the only sort of level i didn't i cared about really but so i can't remember what volume i paddled it at i just <laughs> um but i knew it was a volume i was happy with so it was so, um, pretty it, big then it was yeah it was big um and there'd been so it's it's, it's damn controlled like you said so um it was it was kind of a known quantity but i just i i wasn't beforehand on purpose i wasn't sort of uh, looking at certain levels and which rapids are harder at these levels and which high rapids are easier at these levels i just wanted to sort of deal with it when i got in there Knowing at least it wasn't super big. I wasn't gonna get on if it. it was a massive flow.
2: Well, that's a big river, man. It's a it's a large river and solo and in the wilderness. I mean, there's nothing there. You are down deep inside of this canyon, that the largest canyon on earth, and yeah. it's just you. So yeah. was that intimidating, or did you really enjoy it?
0: Um Again, probably it probably brought me back to my first sort of few years of kayaking, like when I said earlier, my first few sort of years of kayaking was I almost enjoyed it in hindsight, and I was definitely um, you know buzzing for months, weeks. I mean, it's a year to the day. I'm still buzzing from it now, and in the moment I was just dealing with it and I'm um, getting through it and enjoying it, but quite focused. You know, I wasn't being too flippant, so I did enjoy it, but definitely looking back on it as an experience, I really I valued it. But I'm not sure if I I'm not sure if I Enjoyed it in the present when it was actually happening I was just doing it
2: mm. so what was the weather like I mean December I it was, can be cold
0: yeah I was super lucky that was the one thing was one of the things I was really worried about because um you know you very unlikely but you could get snow at the put on but that would be very unlikely but it was just uh blue skies every day mm. uh, super sunny but at night or when the sun went behind the canyon walls kind of like four thirty, it was cold so it was down jackets gloves the first couple of nights, I got some frost and like a bit of ice in my water bottle, so it's pretty pretty cold. But on the daytimes, I was just so pleased. Um, I could sit on the beach in a pair of shorts and sunbathe nice. um, at lunch, yeah, which I was kind of couldn't believe. Um, and then I'd be sat there reading my book, uh, and then I'd watch the sun just go bloop, dip away, and I'd get my down jacket, my hat, my, uh, and be completely wrapped up for the next sort of twelve hours or whatever it was. It was it was pretty pretty cold at night.
2: Well, dry air, huge temperature swings, uh, early yeah. shade, like you're saying, because of the canyon walls. But wow. So what was the scenery like? It's, it's, it is spectacular. And I was naive to how spectacular
0: it was. I got to say, like I'd, I'd obviously heard of the Grand Canyon and lots of people I knew had been there. But I kind of just thought they were hyping it up until I went there the first time. And uh, I was kind of blown away by how incredibly grand the Grand Canyon is. It is otherworldly uh you know big huge red cliff rocks uh different rock types that i'm not smart enough to know the difference of but just um you can see them and you can feel like you're going through all this different types of geology and ages and it just looks ancient and like it's like a scene from mars and then there's this big huge beautiful river in the middle of it and little pockets of green every now and then but um it's just it's a wild place and um coming all the way from you know little england it, it is it does look very very uh, you know, grand
2: mm. well how did you find the the scenery in the american west i mean that's vastly different than england as well
0: yeah um you know kind of intimidating almost it's so grand it's so big and wild and and massive that um and so you know, space, just space with nothing in it for so for so such massive spaces um almost intimidating to how wild it was but then I just, when I was on the river, I wasn't thinking about how wild it was. I was just thinking this corridor is kind of mine. And this is the only bit I've got to sort of worry and think about. This little, you know, this little, <laughs> the Grand Canyon, this, the River of the Colorado is the only bit I've got to worry about. But um, yeah, just um, incredibly beautiful, but yeah, kind of intimidating in its scale.
1: Mm. You know, we might be smack dab in the middle of winter these days, but spring is really just right around the corner. Make sure you've got one of our lightweight camp stoves ready to go in your pack for when the weather starts turning warmer. Both the 180 stove and the 180 flame are designed to burn the abundant wood fuels you find on the ground instead of requiring you to haul in heavy, messy camp fuels. Take a minute to head on over to our site at www.180tack.com to check out these American-made stoves that are built to last. You'll be helping us, and you'll be helping the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thanks, guys.
2: Well, how about some stories about the trip? Uh, we've kind of got all the parameters and the descriptions, but um, tell us about a really good day on this trip that, so that we can kind of get a feel for what it's like. So despite
0: sort of being down there, uh, going on my own, I did bump into a couple of groups down there. And uh, one of my absolute highs was, um, so I didn't really kayak with anyone. I passed two groups and I, I shared one camp with one of the group. Uh, and that was a real high, because it was about halfway through the trip, and I'd pulled up onto this beach on my own again, and it was kind of cold and tired, and I set this tiny little fire up. And um, and then a, a group caught up with me, so I think I saw three groups down there, and this was a group um, I hadn't seen before, so it had been a few days since I'd seen anyone. And they said, oh, can we uh, can we camp here? And of course I was, yeah, sure you can. I wasn't being a purist, I didn't need to be on my own, but... So I said, yeah, come on in. And they were kind enough to ask. And they had a big group of them. I think it was like 20 from sort of uh, California, Colorado, a whole mix. Um, And because they were a raft-supported trip, they uh, they had all the luxuries. So they had a toilet, <laughs> you know, a group like a groover, uh, uh, which was nice with a seat, which is uh, which was rare for me. Uh, they had loads of food, which they kindly cooked for me. They had beer, which I had no room for, and I enjoy a beer, so I was very grateful for a beer. They even had a spare chair, and uh, they were just so kind to me and talking to me, and uh, they just kind of wrapped me into their group. So they've been a group of sixteen for a few days, and to to add someone to their dynamic was kind of really nice to them. So that was. That was really cool meeting them and it it was kind of a nice little punctuation in the middle of being on my own for so long to have a little bit of a, such a friendly group to meet. So that was a, that was a great moment. Um, And then each day at the end of every day, I would, uh, I would have definitely like a moment of buzz where I'd be right. Well, I've done the river for today. Now I'm just camping. And that would be a really nice moment where I'd kind of self-congratulate myself for having, you know, choosing good lines, not swimming, having, having a good day. And then, just sit down on the beach and have nothing to do but just kind of eat and read and just look around. And that that was a really special time. At the end of every day when the kind of hard bit was done, I wouldn't look at the guidebook for tomorrow. I would worry about that tomorrow. So I just had these few hours of eating and and just enjoying the beaches every night.
1: Mm,
2: so don't look at tomorrow. Just enjoy what you've done that day. I like that. That's a good idea. Yeah,
0: I mean tomorrow <laughs> was coming, so I may as well look at it tomorrow. Otherwise, it would be might, might fill it into my dreams and worried about the rapids the next day. Um, so I kind of, I definitely started to fall into one of those patterns that wasn't pre-planned, but I'd wake up and I'd, I'd look at my notebook and be like, right, these are the rapids, uh, between me and the next, where I want to sleep. So 20 miles ish. Um, and how am I going to deal with those? And then when I'd done those, I wouldn't think about tomorrow until, until I woke up and had my breakfast. And so I could have that kind of free time in the evening without worrying about it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good idea. Really good idea. So about 20 miles a day, how long did that take?
0: um day i mean some days you'd i'd fly through it um but i think so maybe i I'd, I'd sort of paddle for sort of six hours maybe a day or five hours but i would i would go for little hikes and walks and f- sometimes i'd paddle hard and sometimes i'd just float and sort of lie back in my boat and look at the sky um the one thing about being on your own is i got lost a bunch of times which sounds silly because you're on a river you shouldn't really get lost but because i'd be daydreaming um I'd I'd sort of lose track of where it was, and then be like, "Well, where, which which rapids that?" and which and because of the scales are so huge, I'd I'd be looking around thinking, "Well, which valley is that coming in there?" And a couple of times, I definitely overshot things by. Well, one day, I overshot something by ten miles. I just kept paddling looking for this camp and I must have passed it because when I finally did figure out where it was I was 10 miles past where I was supposed to be. So wow. some days I had some yeah I know I was just looking for this beach like this is this beach should be so obvious and it must have been not very obvious or I was or I was daydreaming uh, and I have no one else to check with or no one else to sort of talk to about it. So uh, I just kept going and then realized god I must be past it and when I finally found out where I was I was I was 10 miles past it.
2: <laughs> so maybe you did a 30 mile day that day then.
0: exactly, which kind of was a nice little thing because the next day I woke up and thought, well, I've only got 10 miles to do today. So that was a it was nice. And I could get away with these mistakes because they were all on my shoulders. No one else was going to get angry with me or or, um, frustrated or tired. And that was the nice thing about being on your own. You just it was your decisions. They were your mistakes. They were they were your highs. They were your lows. It's kind of nice to have it all on your shoulders.
2: Mm, Yeah, I can see that for sure. Well, I want to hear about one of the more challenging aspects of the trip when something didn't go as planned. Um, so I rolled once on the
0: whole trip, um, which kind of shook me up cause it was a real silly moment. It wasn't the hardest rapid and, uh, I was just kind of charging into it and, uh, and I, I think I might have subconsciously—I'm not even sure if I've even thought about this—while I'm talking to you, I kind of might have been playing to my own GoPro a little bit. I was like trying to make the line look good. <laughs> so the first time, <laughs> the first time I wasn't on my own, the first time I was thinking about my camera, um, I completely messed up and hit this wave and uh, capsized. And that moment seemed to take forever. I felt like for—I've never thought about my my role. Happened instantly like it normally does but i definitely felt like a another level of thinking about it like i better make this role the best role i've ever done like no doubt perfect try and r- remind myself of every little textbook thing in that one second and uh and that was kind of that was okay in the moment but then i was frustrated with myself for about an hour after that i'd let that kind of slip i'd let my guard down and made a bit of a stupid mistake um and then the other one was i decided to walk one rapid uh so i got to uh uh, lava which is one of the bigger ones on the, on the river and I was pretty tired by the time I got there and um, so my boat I couldn't lift which I hadn't thought about so each time I'd have to find somewhere to put my boat I, it couldn't be like a ledge it would have to be a slowly as like, inclining beach where I could drag my kayak up because I couldn't lift the weight of it. So I found this beach, which wasn't very nice and easy to get onto. And then I scrambled across some rocks and I went to go look at this rapid called Lava, which took about, sort of, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour to get on top of a bit of a hill and look at it. And it's a, it's a big old rapid. And a couple of years before when I'd been I absolutely messed it up. Like I didn't swim, but I took a horrible line down it and rolled and everyone had a bit of a giggle. I did impressions later at camp. So the couple of years before I'd had this memory of not making it look very pretty. And that was with a good team of people. Um, So I sort of sat there for a while. And I think in the first sort of 30 seconds, 40 seconds, I realized I was going to walk it, but I sat there for a little bit longer and then decided to walk the rapid, which was, um, which is hard, which was hard work. So the rapid, if I'd done it well, would have taken me 35, 40 seconds to get to the bottom. But to portage it, I had to paddle my boat across and then unload it. And I had no kind of decent-sized bag inside my kayaks. All the little bits, the stoves, the boilers, the the spare clothes, all the little bits. I had to take those out of my boat and walk them down the side of the rapid and did about 10 sort of shuttles of
1: carrying it
0: (laughs) back and forth. And like I said, it was hot and I was in a dry suit, so... I was sweating and maybe a little bit dehydrated. I was sort of stumbling around and sort of taking all my stuff. And it took me about an hour and a half to portage this whole rapid. And I was just dripping in sweat, carried my boat when it was finally empty, and then repacked it. And then I just sat on a rock and uh, opened a jar of Nutella uh, and just dipped my hand in and started eating a whole jar of Nutella with my hand. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was so hungry and so sort of uh, – and that, that that was that was kind of – It wasn't so much a tough decision, but it was a slightly like 80 percent happy I did it and 20 percent kind of uh, frustrated that I didn't kayak it. But it was a it was a tough call and it was a tough hour and a half portage to do what was quite a short rapid.
2: So if you were sitting at the top of that rapid right now in the same circumstance, would you make the same decision?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm walking it. <laughs> I, I, yeah.
2: I think that, no,
0: no, yeah, I, I was confident. I mean, that's it. I was, if I was confident in the moment, that was the right decision. I've got to be confident in it now when I'm sat at my desk in a nice warm house. So that the, uh, the, last year, Liam made the right decision. I think even, even if I had done it perfectly, I wasn't a hundred percent happy. So even if I had done it well, I probably would have got to the bottom of it and gone, well, you didn't think you were going to do it well. So, you know, if you, if you, yeah. I couldn't picture myself doing it very well, and I like this quote, which is um, "never put your body somewhere your mind hasn't been." And I sat mm-hmm. up there for a while, picturing it. I just couldn't couldn't picture myself doing it very well. So for whatever reason, um, I, I got my stuff and I walked around it. And the disappointment lasted a couple of you know couple of minutes after the rapid, and then I was on to the next on to the next one.
2: Wow, but that was kind of stuff, yeah. All right, let's let's talk about that quote just a minute. Don't put your body where your mind hasn't been yeah um so if you like can't it. visualize it if you can't picture it then you have yeah. to you kind of take pause and say wait a minute what am i doing here
0: exactly this isn't a game of sort of um of chance or fluke you know um you know I, you know you, i go around rapids and uh that my friends telling me the line of and i I sort of deal with them but when it was um, just you on your own if i couldn't picture it going well it wasn't a time to be sort of just uh well i'll just give it a whirl and see what happens it was a time to sort of take stock and see what I, wanted to do about it um and i think the first video that played in my head so i got to the top of the rapid and the first kind of imaginary line was me screwing up so i thought well (laughs) that's kind of a hard memory to overwrite so i just uh chose not to but i do i do think about that in kayaking quite a lot um and when i'm guiding or teaching and people say oh you know what i think i can make it and uh i'll probably make oh i'll be okay i just kind of think at a certain level you've got to start thinking now, thinking a bit more positively and being confident in your, in your lines and your decisions. So I tried to practice what I preach and, and decided to walk it.
2: You know, that is so true. And, and the, the opposite is also true. I remember when I was kind of a novice downhill skier and I was on a, a pretty extreme double black and it was beating me up. And I was sitting on the snow just trying to gather my thoughts and a man skied up to me and he said, if you can think it, you can do it. And then he skied off. Yeah. And I was like, he's right. And that's kind of a theme throughout all of adventure sports. If you can think yeah. it and you know you know how it's going to go, you can visualize it, you get that confidence, then you're going to do it. But if yeah. you can't think it, you, uh, you better start measuring the situation a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's such a
0: – yeah, that's so true. And there's another one. It's like you've got to be – to be good, you've got to be relaxed, but you can't relax until you're good, and that's another difficult paradox that always turns up in mm. in these outdoor sports. Like you can't just say to someone, "Oh, relax." You know, you've actually got to be relaxed. You can't just um, say the words, "I'm relaxed," and be and then that play a part in it. You've got to sort of feel relaxed and feel that you can do it. Not just not just say the lines. You've got to believe the lines.
2: Yeah, and I find that for me with rock climbing, above all else, if I can't relax, I might as well go home. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I have the right middle state, I'm going to have a blast. But if I'm in one of those those middle states where I I can't ease into it, I mean, you're always excited, you know, but if I can't just yeah. feel that, well, just being in the groove, if I can't yeah, get exactly. there. And it's like, well, another day will be better then, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what I felt.
0: Like, I was on top of that rapid, and I thought, well, this is a holiday after all, or it's, um, and, uh, you know, I've got nothing to prove, and I've got – no reason to do it. And I definitely just don't feel that groove right now. So that's, that's the thing that's telling me. So I let, I, let that, I let that conversation sort of win that time.
2: Yeah, you know, and I applaud you for that. I, one of my sayings that my kids hear over and over and over again for me is, be safe first and have fun second and, and have a blast. Yeah. But make sure yeah, you have a blast. Back I love Do that. it another day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Be safe first because that's what matters. We got to make sure that we do these things in a way that allows us to enjoy them for years and years to come. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, good call. I think you know if that's the way that you felt about that rapid, then you definitely did the right thing.
0: Yeah, and I think like uh, 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 from beginner level to you know being okay in a kayak or pretty good, then that's uh, that's a pretty important lesson. So I, I tried to apply it even in that moment of you know I planned it for two years. I really wanted to do it. I was on my own. This is the whole point of the trip. It wasn't that. So I, you know, it was. Uh, I had to I had to definitely apply that lesson consciously. So
2: you had seen the rapid. You said it was lava, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. You had seen it 2 years prior. It was probably the 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 crux of the trip that haunted you for 2 years as you're thinking about this. <laughs> yeah. You think that makes I just it remember my life. <laughs>
0: um I just remember my friends laughing about how bad my line was 2 years before, and they were completely right to laugh. I did really did a bad job of it the first time I did it. So I just kind of had that hanging over me. So uh yeah, it was a uh, yeah, it was <laughs> Uh, it was a it was an old friend popping up when I, when i saw that rapid i kind of immediately had that feeling of oh yeah this is how i thought i'd feel
2: mm. so on day 12 you finally get to the end and it's time to to take the gear out for the last time how did you feel about that I wasn't happy
0: if i could have teleported back to the top i would have i would have pressed the button i would have got i would have carried on carried on going it was a, it was sad for it to come to an end yeah i was looking forward to a beer and some different food, but otherwise I would have, I would have liked to carry on going. Yeah.
2: Well, do you think that had you kept going, it would have gotten easier and easier for you emotionally and mentally to say, yeah, I've got this.
0: Yeah. I think like the, the definitely by then the pattern was set and I knew what I liked to do in the morning. I knew how I kind of, um, what time I wanted to eat at night, um, how I was going to feel, where all my kit fitted in my room, into my uh, boat, into my room, you know what's <laughs> going it my room, into my kayak. Um, so I had this pattern set, and I was just really enjoying that way of life of waking up. There was only one direction to go, floating down it or paddling down it, eating, uh, and then just repeat, repeat. I really liked that pattern.
2: Mm. You know, you said at the beginning of the program that for you it's, it's as much about the journey as it is about the white water and and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. There are a lot of rivers in this world, and ones that don't require a lottery to pull a permit, so do they call to you
0: yeah, and i don't know what I don't know what it is, but there was um when I was sort of thinking about what I wanted to do, the Grand Canyon kind of floated to the top of my mind and then stayed there and i couldn't really shake it so it, it, i couldn't i couldn't get it out of my head, so even if I hadn't got that permit that year, I would think I would have kept on trying for it to do it because it it kind of got lodged in something that I wanted to do mm. But the next sort of like I'm sort of think, I'm still thinking about now what river I'd like to do next. Nothing's sort of floated to the top of my mind, but I'm sure it will do. And then it will it'll stick there pretty, pretty definitely.
2: Mm. Well, what about Ecuador? So you are a, a guide leading yeah. kayaking trips in Ecuador. Amazing. We could do a whole show on that. And we've already burned through a whole show on the Grand Canyon. So yeah. just it'll give be us the highlights. Around. What is it like? Uh, it's brilliant. So Ecuador
0: is a very different style of paddling, and I work for a company out there um, who've been operating there for a long time, since 1993, and, and the guys who run it uh, wrote the guidebook and kayak in Ecuador. So they're, they're a great company to work for. And uh, it's, it's so it's my winter, it's, so it's nice to get away in my winter and head to Ecuador either before Christmas or after Christmas and uh, be walking around in shorts and T-shirts and kayaking in a, just a rash vest. That's quite a luxury for me.
2: Mm. So the people that go down there to uh take that trip, do they have to have a skill set before they go or is it more of a novice trip? No, there it's um they're often, you know, kayakers that are pretty good
0: already and either they want seven days of really good kayaking for their holiday or uh, they want to maybe improve that week. But they're normally like, you know, a majority of our sort of guests are class three, class four paddlers. Um, or maybe we do some sort of class two and class three, but I'd say the majority is sort of three, four. And they're there to either get quality kayaking or maybe to sort of like you were talking about that. I think that plateau does appear in people's kayaking every now and then. And they might be at a point where they go, I just want to step up a little bit with the hand uh, and, and improve just a little bit more so I can enjoy kayaking in a different part of the world or to a different level. Or So they're, they're there to improve or just to have a really good time.
2: Right on. Well, what about Ecuador itself? Do you like the country and the landscape?
0: I do. I, um, so it's, it's pretty much like bang on the equator. So the um, depending on what height you're at, it kind of depends what plants and animals you're seeing, and that's really cool. So you can be in sort of cloud forest in a in a full length jacket, a little bit chilly in the mist, and then you can go two and a half hours down the hill, and you're in a rash fest. It's really hot. There's a, a whole different feel to the climate, and and the and all the trees and the plants and animals, and it just feels very different two and a half hours sort of uh, down the hill, just depending on what elevation you're at. So that's really cool.
2: Mm, neat stuff. Well, Liam, what do you say to people when they ask you about kayaking? Is it a sport worth doing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like I said, I'm a one-trick pony. It's the only thing I'm sort of half okay at. And I just, uh, I think it's an incredible way to travel and to see to see the planet. I don't think... Um, I mean, you don't have to kayak it, but to see the Grand Canyon in its glory, I'm pretty sure you've got to see it from the river, whether it's a raft or a kayak. But I think traveling by river is a, is a beautiful way to travel. And I think going to other countries to experience their rivers and it goes through villages, it goes through mountains, uh, just traveling by the river in a, in a kayak or a raft or a canoe is, uh, is something that people should uh, should look into if it appeals to them.
2: You know, I agree. I agree completely. When you're on a river, man, it changes everything. I love yeah. the rhythm of the of the river too. Like you talked about, you know, you kinda got into I know how long I'm gonna be in the boat, I know how I'm gonna camp, I know where my stuff goes. And it life kinda simplifies down to the basics and it just yeah. refreshing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And uh, even if it's your local walkway that maybe you've walked up. 100 times Um, if you get in a canoe or kayak you'll you'll get on you'll see it from a different different viewpoint and you'll see different things you'll see different animals Uh, it's very quiet it can can be a pretty nice way to travel and see see the world
2: yeah absolutely and one of my favorite things and I've said this on the show before but when you're in a boat and you drift by the animals they're not alarmed they're used to humans walking you know so when you come in a boat and kind of drift by you can go right by them and they just kind of look at you like hey that's interesting what is that You know, yeah, it's a beautiful way to encounter the wildlife.
0: Yeah, I've always found that strange. You seem they seem to not uh, see you as the same kind of threat as they would if you were on the side or walking around. So I've had otters pretty close to my kayak and stuff. And uh, and so it's not just the white war. It's the the landscapes, it's the people. And and definitely I love seeing the uh,
2: the wildlife out there. Mm, Very, very cool. Well, Liam, it's been awesome to hear about your experience kayaking and especially kayaking the Grand Canyon solo in winter. Man, it sounds like such a cool trip. I would like to get my skill set up enough to actually do that one because uh, that just seems like the granddaddy to me. Like you said, it kind of got stuck in your head and it's like, whoa, that's the one I've got to do. I think that would be such an amazing thing. Congratulations
1: that you Thanks, won the yeah. lottery
2: and that you got to do it and had the experience. I I guess in parting, one last question. I believe that big adventures like this, we set a big goal, we work toward it, you know, we do all the planning, the logistics, everything else, we build a skill set, we gain the confidence and and then we do it, it changes us somehow. Yeah. So, how would you say that this experience changed Liam? Um,
0: I definitely feel a lot more um, sort of can do and and in a literal sense, not in a sort of happy, chirpy, can do kind of way. I feel like a lot more things are possible than maybe I'd realized. And even if they don't seem possible to start, just start working towards it. Like I wasn't sure how I was going to get all my kit in my boat or if there was a boat I could even rent out there. But once I started putting it in progress, it all started working out. Once it, It looked like a big mission, but once I started breaking it down and started it, it all kind of unfolded and happened. And I've sort of applied that to a lot of other things now, just, just starting it, even if I don't know how it's going to end up or work out and just, just starting it. Don't just think about
2: it. How can people get more information? Is there a way that they can, uh, see pictures or videos or something about your trip?
0: Um, yeah, like I had a Facebook page, uh, when I was starting it about all the planning and that was called project 30, uh, which I'm, uh, you can find and it's got some photos and there's a link to the video I made about the trip in there. And the reason it was called project 30 is because when it was all a pipe dream and I was thinking about it, it was coming up to my 30th birthday and I thought I want to do something for my 30th. So I just kind of dubbed it project 30, but it turned into a grand Canyon solo trip. But if you look for that, you'll find videos and photos and you can ask me about how to plan this trip or what kit that you need and stuff like that on there. On um, Facebook project. Thirty. Yeah. Project 30 on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. And the Ecuador thing is uh, I work for a company called Small World Adventures. And if you're interested in kayaking in Ecuador, check out Small World Adventures. And uh, like I said, they've been there since 1993. So when I was a nipper uh, starting, starting kayaking out there, and they wrote the guidebook. And if you want seven days good kayaking out there, they're the people to get in touch with.
2: Very cool. Well, we can put links to that stuff on our website. So listeners, if you want to uh, get more information, then just go to adventuresportspodcast.com. And we'll have some links for this stuff. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing it with us, man. I really enjoyed hearing about it. What a cool trip. Thanks so much. Uh, You bet. And for all of our listeners out there, hey, whitewater kayaking, it may be creek boating, you know, maybe you just like going down a gentle river. Maybe it's the Grand Canyon in the wintertime. But whatever it is, there's another adventure sport. It's delightful. It's just an awesome sport. So until the next show. Make sure that you do get out there and have some fun.
1: Coming up on Thursday's episode, we're going to talk about cycling around the world in 78 days with Mark Beaumont. Until then, get out and have some fun. Why don't you do yourself and us a favor and become a member of our Facebook group. In there, you can hear about some awesome adventures, learn how to do new ones, and share what you've been up to. And while you're on the web, do us a favor and go over to patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast and consider becoming a patron to help the show. You can also find a link to Patreon at the top of our website at adventuresportspodcast.com. As always, thanks for listening, guys.